Welcome to the latest CMS Pensions Lawcast. I'm Pete Coyne and I'm joined today by my colleague Kirsty MacDonald. Now we've looked at GMP equality a few times already in this series, focusing mainly on the general principles established by the first Lloyds case and also looking at some really quite specific issues for bulk annuity transactions. But as we're now a good four years on from the initial judgment and the majority of schemes are now starting to grapple with the issues, we thought it would be a good time to recap and reflect on how the industry is responding so far. So in this episode, I'm going to start with a brief recap on GMP equality, what it is and why schemes are having to engage with it. And we'll also take a look at the materials and the industry guidance that's now available to schemes to help them with the challenge. And then Kirsty will consider how we're seeing schemes starting to respond and what trends are emerging. And we'll then pick up out, or we'll pick out, I should say, some common early issues we're seeing crop up for schemes, taking the dual records and conversion approaches before looking at some headlines connected to transfers out. So what is GMP equalisation again? I'm going to assume that you'll know what GMPs are, having been brave enough to click on this episode, and you'll understand that they are inherently discriminatory. But since 17th of May 1990, occupational pension schemes have had to provide equal benefits to their members. The question of how to deal with GMPs remained in doubt, though, until we had the first Lloyd's decision in October 2018. And as we've discussed in other law casts, the judge concluded in that case that trustees do have uh, an obligation to provide equal benefits for men and women for service from 1990, essentially removing the effects of GMPs built up from that point until those GMPs stopped accruing in April 1997. And the court gave pretty detailed directions on the different methods that trustees could use to achieve that equality in practice. So today we're going to touch on a couple of those methods, the dual records approach, where basically the scheme makes an annual comparison of benefits and pays the higher of the male and female one each year. And it might do that on a year by year basis, which we know as method B, or by keeping a running total as you go, which is method C. Uh, and you can also take into account interest, which we call method C2. And we'll also have a quick look at where we are with method D or conversion, as it's more commonly called where schemes are effectively converting the equalised GMP into a non-GMP benefit through a one-off actuarial equivalence calculation by going through a statutory conversion process. So let's just recap the materials and guidance that have developed over the last four years to help trustees with the many practical issues that come up during an equalisation project. Firstly, of course, we've got the three Lloyd's judgments themselves. Lloyd's one set out the key duty on trustees to equalise and set out the available methods for compliance. Lloyd's two looked at some supplementary questions around the application and requirements of method D conversion. And Lloyd's three most recently, which looked at what trustees have got to do about past transfers that may have been paid from their scheme in the past on an unequal basis. Uh, I think it's fair to say that HMRC's own position has also developed over this period, and we've now got four pieces of guidance from them to help trustees with the tax aspects of GMP equalities. And, and they're firstly a February 2020 newsletter, which looked at annual and lifetime allowance issues, uh, in particular when benefits adjustments bite for tax purposes. Secondly, a July 2020 newsletter looking at the treatment of different types of lump sums that may be payable. 
Then more recently, April 2022 guidance on the treatment of top-up payments and, and a bit on GMP conversion. And then finally, what I guess we think of as a, a lower key sort of June 2022 newsletter, which has looked uh, very specifically at the treatment of interest on arrears payments. Now, there's also a, a growing pool of PASA guidance, and, and that looks at uh, and has covered everything from administration, data, tax, uh, member communications, methodologies, transfers, uh, lots and lots of material, which can be really helpful if you're looking to see how the rest of the industry might be tackling um, some of the issues that, that, that you're looking at. And then if we just focus in on the GMP conversion side of things, we've got the HMRC April 2022 guidance that I just mentioned, but also a, a new Act of Parliament, which uh, we'll come on to talk about a little bit more shortly. So there's no shortage of materials to help trustees with the task at hand. And Kirsty's going to take a look now at how schemes are responding and whether there are any emerging trends. Thanks, Pete. As you say, we're now four years away from the original judgment, but even so, the majority of schemes are still in the relatively early stages, actually, for the GMP equality planning. I think for some schemes that will have been because they've been busy sorting out their GMP reconciliation and rectification issues, uh, which is understandable. But I think we're also seeing some of the smaller schemes actually holding back a bit while industry practice settles. Now, having said that, many schemes have started the ball rolling in some way, um, have maybe point, appointed a project subcommittee, perhaps made some of the key structural changes, uh, like selecting which method they're going to use to achieve GMP equality. So what are we seeing them choosing? Well, from our clients, we've seen around half of them choosing dual records methods. Um, a slight skew there towards method C2 over method B. Um, we're seeing just over a quarter of them selecting uh, method D2, which is statutory conversion. And then the rest of them perhaps considering more bespoke options. So including combining conversion with a pension increase exchange, for example, um, or maybe using method D1 for some bits of their equality exercise, perhaps for trivial lump sums or transfers out and then dual records for the balance. And as I say, conversion is also being picked up as an option, particularly for schemes that are engaged with or coming up to a buyout. Um, or maybe for those where there's a particular desire to simplify the scheme benefits or perhaps a wider resolve to restructure pension increases anyway, uh, in which case method D2 would just be a better fit for them. And, and when we actually look into the rationale behind these method selections, some common themes do come out. So, for example, trustees are tending to favour dual records on the whole, mainly because of the tax uncertainties associated with conversion, which we're going to come on to have a look at. And in some cases, because of the lower upfront costs of running a dual records method. Uh, and at least if you're choosing method C2 anyway, the fact that trustees can just get on with it um, without seeking company consent. As I said, though, we are seeing a roughly equal split, actually, between schemes choosing method B and C2 when they do go down the dual records route. And, and that might surprise some people as method B was expected to be the more expensive option. And um, you are, after all, paying the more generous benefit each year without the offsetting that you get under C. And actually, some trustees are finding that when they look at it, the cost difference isn't as great as they had imagined. And for some, the fact that method B is seen to be uh, I guess, easier to communicate to members as well as to administer uh, was enough to tip the balance in that direction. 
What about some other areas? So for forfeiture, for example, we're seeing actually some reluctance from trustees to exercise forfeiture powers. In other words, the risks associated with, with applying a cutoff to GMP equality back payments are being assessed um, as perhaps outweighing the advantages or the, the cost saving potentially of applying it. And this is something that schemes are having really to consider on a case by case basis. It's very rules dependent, um, but some are even exploring the option of waiving an automatic cutoff altogether um, so that they have discretion to pay for back payments if they want to. So that's the, the direction of travel, if you like, some key trends. And I'm, I'm going to look now at some of the common issues that crop up early on for schemes that are taking the dual records route. So quite early on in the process, trustees will need to decide how they're going to construct their member data in order to run the appropriate dual record comparison. Remembering that for GMP equality, you're only comparing benefits relating to the 90 to 97 period. So PAS has provided some, some useful guidance here and it summarises the available options and they include at one end of the spectrum uh, reconstructing the member benefit from scratch or for schemes perhaps with less data or resource other options um, like rolling back the current pension and payment um, to reconstruct the data splits or maybe prorating the members benefit and GMP splits according to their overall period of service. Early decisions are also needed on how to treat benefits with elements of optionality, which you often have with early retirement and commutation, for example. And these benefits are commonly available at the member's option, uh, but also restricted so that they can only be taken if the member's pension wouldn't drop below their own GMP level. And this raises quite a few issues for trustees to work through for GMP equality, particularly for members with lower pensions, where that GMP restriction is more likely to bite. Uh, and where members have a right to commute or take early retirement, as opposed to a discretionary option where there's a bit more flexibility. And as a point of principle, trustees are going to have to decide early on what to do with when an equivalent member of the opposite sex would have had a different option to the member because they would have had a different GMP restriction. And there are different options available which boil down to either giving both sexes either more or less flexibility, depending on what your scheme rules say. Another early decision is needed on how to treat GMP only members. And again, trustees will need to decide whether, as well as equalising the value of GMP only pensions, they're going to also provide equal access um, from GMP age, essentially by starting the male pension from age 60 and then putting in payment, whichever is the higher from age 65 onwards. And having said that, some schemes are separating out members who are GMP only altogether because they're transferred out excess benefits went to a contracted in scheme. And for that subgroup of members, Lloyds 3 gives authority to top up the transfer payment itself, which means that you can then leave the residual GMP only bit alone. And I'm going to come on and pick up a few other issues connected with transfers out in a moment. Um, but first, Pete's going to take a look at conversion. Thanks, Kirsty. Um, so G GMP conversion is a topic that could justify its own lawcast or pr probably series of lawcasts. So <clears throat> for reasons of time, I'm going to keep this section relatively high level and just focus on the key issues that we're seeing. But as Kirsty says, you know, there's a significant proportion of schemes that we're seeing from our own clients choosing method deconversion um, as, as their pre preferred solution. So, so it's definitely something worth spending a little bit of, uh, of time talking through. So I suppose conceptually GMP conversion has quite a lot going for it. It simplifies benefits and administration. 
And benefits are converted on an actuarially neutral basis, so the value of members' benefits is unaffected. And of course, it's a one-off project, so you don't have the hassle of a dual records approach being carried out long into the future, as you will do with, with methods B or C. There's also some evidence that for schemes who are approaching the, the buy-in or buy-out market, having converted your GMPs and, and simplified your benefit structure might also make you more attractive uh, to insurers. But of course, it, it definitely isn't a one-way street, and there are complexities and problems with GMP conversion as well, in particular tax issues on um, conversion. There are also higher upfront implementation um, costs, and there's a need for a more formal process involving uh, both the members, uh, but also employer consent as well. But if I just focus in on what's probably the most significant of these issues, big, big tax, uh, as GMP conversion involves reshaping benefits, schemes do have to consider whether there are any tax consequences for members as a result. And unfortunately, the tax issues that have arisen can only really be solved by legislation. And we, we don't currently have the promise of any new legislation, but there are nevertheless some workarounds that, that can be used to try and minimise um, the possible impact. So if I start with the good news is that for pensioners, uh, position is much more straightforward. So provided the benefits before and after conversion have the same actuarial value, um, HMRC's April 2022 guidance confirms that there will be no annual allowance or fixed protection impact for those members, those pensioners. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for deferred members. Now, ordinarily, deferred members' benefits are protected from using up annual allowance in a pension scheme each year by something called the deferred member carve-out. However, if a deferred member's GMP benefits stop being GMP because we've converted them into something else, the worry has been that the conversion process will take the benefits outside the shelter of the deferred member carve-out. And for sort of similar related reasons, deferred members with fixed protection from the lifetime allowance might also lose uh, that protection on conversion of their GMP into non-GMP. Now, HMRC's guidance has explicitly recognised that there's a potential for both an annual allowance and lifetime allowance impact for these deferred members. And schemes are, for now at least, left to understand and to try and address that impact themselves. Some schemes are considering uh, conversion um, at retirement in order to try and mitigate some of these uh, tax issues and give themselves, if nothing else, the time and flexibility to find other solutions when it comes to the actual conversion process at retirement. And there is also some light at the end of um, the, the tunnel in that the, there's an explicit reference in the April 2022 guidance to the possibility of further legislative change to address the annual allowance issue for deferred members. And there's also quite a helpful confirmation that I think as we'd all understood uh, all along, the problem for deferred members is only for those who became deferred in their scheme after 5th of April 2006. It's worth saying a little bit as well about the administrative process of GMP conversion. And conversion is a tool that's been around since 
2009, so actually quite a long time, but was really very rarely used until GMP equalisation came onto the agenda um, for schemes. And in part, I think that was because the conversion process under the legislation was seen as complex and cumbersome, but it's also because there were unresolved uncertainties in how that legislation was supposed to operate. So a private member's bill that has recently become law has sought to address some of those issues, and there is the promise, at least, of some further clarification and potentially simplification to come as well. So the Pension Schemes Conversion of GMPs Act 2022 has brought some really welcome clarity to questions around how survivors' benefits are to be treated as part of a conversion exercise, and also the role of HMRC itself in the conversion process. The government has also promised consultation um, on regulations to address some further areas of, some, uh, of uncertainty, but at the moment we unfortunately don't have any uh, indication of, of when that consultation might begin. So the, the changes made by the Act are in some senses quite technical and obscure, but, but in reality they do make the process of conversion um, easier for trustees, and I think the promise of more clarification to come is a really welcome one. So I'm now going to hand over to Kirsty to talk us through some issues on transfers. Yes, thank you. So as Pete mentioned, the Lloyds 3 case looked at transfers from schemes um, and established that trustees of transferring schemes have got a duty to pay top ups to members to make good their, their duty, if you like, to calculate the cash equivalent transfer value based on benefits equalised for the effects of GMP. I'm going to point out a couple of early planning issues that this raises for schemes that have made transfers out. And I'm going to set aside for today's lawcast at least the flip side question of how the trustees of receiving schemes should deal with transfers in, um, since actually Lloyd's 3 was much less definitive about that side of the equation. I should say that we're seeing some schemes parking this aspect altogether until much later on in their project, perhaps choosing to deal with their current membership first. Uh, although some are making decisions in principle at this stage for this group too. And, and that feeds into the question of how proactive trustees have to be when they're making top-up payments. Uh, in other words, actually finding the people that are due a top-up. And some schemes are concluding that a proportionate approach to tracking down former members is appropriate, maybe weighted by the value of the transfer value payment, although not driven solely by that, but certainly taking into account factors like data availability, location tracking costs, scheme resourcing, and things like that. So once a scheme has found a former member, how will it then make a top-up payment? Well, in Lloyd's 3, the court identified the right as being a top-up to the original transfer payment, but it did acknowledge that it might be appropriate in some cases to make a payment direct to the member instead. Um, and up until the spring this year, it really wasn't very clear how HMRC would treat either of these kinds of payments from a tax point of view. Um, happily, they have now looked at the issue and confirmed that both kinds of payment, so where they're made to schemes uh, or direct to members, are potentially authorised. And clearly, from the trustees' perspective, the option of making payments direct to a member is quite attractive uh, and would now be possible under the tax law at least for payments made after A-Day and under £10,000. And that route would sidestep some of the difficulties trustees are worrying about with tracking down and making payments to receiving schemes. 
that really concludes some of the early points that we're seeing trustees think about in their GMP equality planning and for their transferred out benefits. And I'm going to pass back to Pete now to wrap up. Thanks, Kirsty. Uh, well, we hope you found this episode on the ongoing saga of GMP equalisation useful. The topic four years on is still very much evolving. Um, we'll no doubt be revisiting some of these issues in future episodes. We look forward to seeing you then and thank you for listening. <laughs>